0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast, created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Today, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation, and we pay our respects to their Elders past, present and emerging. Stick Together is broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation and brought to you on your community radio station. To honour International Women's Day, we look at two stories about working women. The first, a workplace victory, and the second, a push for positive change. We hear from Australian Education Union organiser Hani Honda about her days as an AEU delegate and then follow up the work going on to increase women in the trades. Hani Honda is now working as an organiser with the Australian Education Union Victorian branch. At the most recent women's rights at work conference, she joined a panel of women of colour to tell her story as a workplace delegate.
1: So I'm currently working as an organiser in the AEU, Australian Education Union, Victorian branch. Prior to joining in the AEU team, um, I have served as a sub-branch representative at my own school, what I have taught for the last two years, which is a special school setting. I also originally come from Japan, in case you couldn't guess, from my surname. And I arrived here about, I think, back in 98, uh, not knowing much English, Uh, When I arrived here, honestly, um, I didn't know how to order a sandwich or coffee from a cafe. And that system (laughs) in the cafe was a mystery to me. I said, why do Australian people know how to order a sandwich? They (laughs) seem to know always what they want without a menu or price in front of them, which which is not the case in Japan because you have always a visual representation exactly how much it is. I come from a very orderly, Um, Background. Anyone who's been to Japan would know this. Yep. Yep. So, yep, that's me, and I came here as an international student. What I'd like to share with you today is uh, just one of the stories from the time that I was the rep at my own school, working with many of the women of colour members at the special school. And because of the location of where my school is, which is in Glen Waverley, and the fact that my school has got a, a physical disability label attached. The school basically attracted a lot of that diverse uh, education support staff in the recent years, and I'm really noticing that uh, from especially last five years or so, we've just started to have a lot of diverse <laughs> women of colour staff coming to work as, not, not necessarily as a teacher, but more as an education support staff. So their roles quite diverse. There could be allied health staff, there could be in your office. But majority of them, 80% of them, are working in the classroom with a lot of teaching staff and assisting the needs of and the learning of the students. I've been very fortunate and privileged to be able to represent those women. The last time I left the school, we had about 65 education support staff members, a lot bigger than a teacher member, to be honest. And there were about 100 uh, staff at my own school. And typically, the school was led by a white male person. So these are the lowest paid educators in public school education. Before the new government schools agreement, the Victorian government schools agreement, which came in 25th of July, these people are getting paid between 23 to $27 an hour before tax, not much at all. These are the people that really are really a vital and uh, essential part of the operation of the schools. And they do really bend backwards and force to do anything, everything for the school. And um, I constantly always taught my classroom with those amazing women in the classroom. Without them, I wouldn't have been able to really deliver the curriculum. Coming from the Asian background, of course, I had a many points of connection with this women's staff who also grew up in a very similar environment or background, I guess, and I was really able to um, relate myself to these people and they started to feel more comfortable with me, just coming to me and seeing me and getting to know more about joining the union, etc. And being a non-white staff member, and especially when you are not born in Australia, and I never went to Australian schools, it's often more of a challenge than advantage, as you can just imagine. I can honestly say this because I've, yeah, this, throughout my teaching career since 2004, um, I have encountered a lot of challenges and struggles. And I thought everybody was like this, like you know, this is just a normal. Until I sort of started to be active within AU and start interacting with other members that, who come from completely different background, then I realised that no, this wasn't normal. Not not everybody goes through these struggles and challenges. So it, it has been a um, sort of long time learning for myself, and especially um, standing up for a group of members, a lot of them are women and come from disadvantaged background. And me representing a large sub-branch um, was actually a little bit of a challenge at the start. But of course, you don't give up, you just keep going. The issue that was brought to my attention was that the many of the classroom support, educational support staff, were not provided with lockers uh, at my school, and therefore they had to um, really carry their backpacks or you know, lunchbox and their handbags to wherever they went. And because of the nature of their role, which was to really more like a rotating within the school, um, because you, first session you might be doing physio with the students, then next session you might be swimming in a hydrotherapy uh, pool. Then to finish off with the speech therapy session in the classroom, you just have to carry bags all day, every day, which is quite inconvenient. And of course, you are carrying your valuables in your bag, and the life at school is just incredibly busy. So sometimes you just can't remember where you left your bag. is, And by the time you came back to your bag, the bag was gone, missing. And some of them were newly arrived migrants in the country. So therefore, they actually had a passport in their bags. and. Yeah. Because they didn't have a driver's license. So then, well, they'd never driven in their own country. Uh, They came here and, yeah, they don't have any ID card. So then they were carrying a passport, which was, of course, smart choice. However, people sometimes just don't know that. That's the right thing to do, they believe. So they were doing it. So anyway, um, yeah, this concern was brought to my attention from a number of um, those women uh, of colour members to me, and I was representing those people's voice at the, um, a school-based consultation committee. Basically, I took that matter to the principal's attention, and initially he looked at me and didn't really take matter seriously. He was like, oh... What's the issue? Why can't you just carry your bag all day every day? That's not that hard. It's not like you're carrying ten kilogram, you know, (laughs) weight in your bag. That's not a big issue. Then, so I called a series of sorry when I say ES, that's Education Support staff ES meetings was called to talk to um, those members, and I made sure that uh, we provided a safe space for those staff who could then freely talk about their issues and concerns, and ensure that nobody will be identified or targeted, because that's one thing they were very, very concerned about. Spend a lot of time educating them about um, working together uh, collectively to address this issue, and um, if we can't have a win in one one go, in one um, meeting, then we always It came back together, had another meeting, had a plan B, and we just kept trying. And a lot of all these um, women are also not aware of the Australian Union movement. And myself, as I got more involved with the AU, I had to learn as well. And I'm still learning every day, but they were totally not aware of um, this Australian movement has achieved historically, let alone the wins for this ES staff in the school's agreement in the past. So there was a lot of educating to be done even before I got them together and you know think about strategies and plans moving forward to address these issues and concern. And one of the strategies we discussed was to collect data and evidence, such as like taking photos, and um, we also um, ran a quick survey around those staff, so that I have not missed any bits of information. I then took this, once again, um, this matter to the fortnight uh, school-based consultation meeting, spoke on behalf of members. And of course, uh, my own challenge representing the voice of these women was, uh, as I stated earlier, my principal is a 53-year-old white male person uh, who never um, worked as an education support staff in the uh, education industry. he's always been a teacher and now obviously earns a very comfortable uh, six-digit wage. Basically, it was just comes down to the cost. As you all know, Victorian government schools are not well-funded, um, 99% of the uh, government schools are yeah, not reached at the 100% of the um, funding that we all deserve. So it did come down to funding, and we do have a lot of uh, education support staff. So it wasn't just the one or two lockers you were talking about. You were talking about the 100-plus lockers. So he was quite hesitant, however, took all the evidence and photos and continued to raise this matter. And obviously, as a committee, we got together and spoke about. Um, yes, eventually, we did have a wing, and he has agreed to um, purchase all the brand-new lockers. Um, not just lockers. Plus the padlock. <laughs> so that was important. So um, this also had a very positive impact on the school's consultation process as a whole. Previously, we only just had a one education support staff representing the voice of ES staff at the consulting committee. But as a result of this wing, uh, not only we had more uh, women of color members joining the AEU, and eventually grew to about sixty-five out of hundred. We also had a three education support staff reps at our school consultation committee, which is. I also managed to negotiate, was to get those women to get paid to be on a consulting committee. So, I through this experience, reflecting on what solidarity means for these women of colour members. I do you see the importance of um, providing them the safe, confident, comfortable space, regardless of the role in their school. And it's also important that they have an equal representation in school-based consultation process. They do honestly feel that they are the lowest, lowest on the bottom of the hierarchy. They do feel quite vulnerable, and when you are women, and you are women of color, it's even worse. So it was really important that we continue to work together, stick together, and it really, they really needed a lot of encouragement to. This might be might sound very simple. Yeah, process to just win this. But it, it really wasn't. It, it was really... A lot of time was spent... I gave up my, my preparation time to meet some of the members because they were going on the early breaks and things like that. So to give up that time to, um, yeah, meet with all these people was quite... Um, yeah, obviously worked really well. Um, and small, you know, groups meeting was really, really powerful but also very effective. Just lastly, now that I'm working as an organiser in the AEU, I really love to see our women of colour <laughs> members getting more involved and uh, enhancing their participation level across the sector within the AEU, whether you come from schools, early childhood or TAFE for disability. And really... I'm I don't know how much I can contribute within AU, but I believe, Kerry, I'm the first Women of Colour organiser in AU. I really love to be able to contribute um, by helping <laughs> these Women of Colour members get activated, get them to see the values and connections. When you don't like feel that the sense of belongings uh, or achievement, um, it is really hard for them to... Come to any of the events or even a small regional meetings, for example. I look after Frankston Peninsula, Mornington Region, and most of you would know that how diverse that part of Melbourne is. I often. Yeah, sitting in the entire room looking visibly different from anyone. Um, And I have yet to come across a single Women of Colour member attending this event. So, yeah, I just have to keep going and try um, getting, yeah, these Women of Colour members activated and get them to join us.
0: You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. Mum is the project officer for the Australian... Manufacturing Workers' Union, the AMWU, Careers for Women in Trades Project, who recently ran a Share Trades Expo focused on encouraging and supporting more women into trades. Courtney gives a perspective on the task. The... Uh the level of women deciding to go into uh, trades is still low, even though there's been a push for some time to uh, find it attractive. What are the barriers, do you think?
2: Yes, yeah, so we know that women make up just 2% of the non-traditional trades at the moment, um, and that is much lower, as you can imagine, for the manufacturing trades as well. Some of the barriers, I guess... Um, to be brutally honest, the amount of sexual harassment in these sorts of male-dominated industries um, is a real turn-off for women. Even just um, a lack of employer understanding of the things that women will need in work sites like female toilets, um, which is just absolutely amazing that um, you know this sort of stuff still going on in 2023. Um, but also just that lack of exposure in schools, schools. Um, And for mature age women to even, you know, consider the trades as an option, that's something we've been really trying to target through the project. Um, So the Women in Trades project has been running, you know, trade days, networking forums, we've been providing workshops, all that sort of stuff, so that women know that the trades are actually an option for them.
0: Yeah, yeah, because... uh... As you point out, there is a, a very high-level skill set that is involved in a range of trades and the idea that uh, half the population or more than half the population won't have people in it who uh, who really are set on fire by the idea of applying mental and hand uh, manual skills in a process that uh, is what uh, trades are about. I mean, you know, it's, it's an interesting job.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's such a rewarding career. You know, you can get really well-paying jobs. Um, you can get, you know, that satisfaction out of a bit of creativity, making something from start to finish, but I guess we figure trades to be a little something more to women. Um, you know, they can provide that sort of financial independence from a coercive relationship, Even stuff like providing a pathway out of the poverty cycle, we see it as so much more for women. You know, being able to show that the trades are more than just, you know, for men, women can show that, you know, we can do this too, that it is something, you know, that they can bring a lot of value to, um, not just in the work, but also to workplaces as well.
0: Which leads to the question of the big issue of uh, sexual harassment, uh, actual work culture that uh, needs to change. Now, it's obvious that if you want to change it, you have to have um, more people uh, represented by uh, by the group, right? Because otherwise the uh, dominant group can just walk all over people.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it really relies on having having those, you know leaders in the workplace, um, often male leaders standing up and just sort of setting the tone for the culture. But also, it really does rely on the employer taking the initiative to provide training. I know women on site, for instance, are running a great program at the moment um, on gender violence, workplace gender violence. So it really is... um, the employer's responsibility to step up. And, you know, it's not just a case of, oh, let's start hiring women. It's about starting to provide a real supportive environment um, and making sure that the women aren't going to be, you know, having a really rough time. A lot of work's being done in so many different areas. I think more recently we've been in Trades Hall, we've been pushing to end non-disclosure agreements um, in regards to sexual harassment. I think that'll be absolutely massive at the moment. You know, you can be working in one of these workplaces and, you know, something terrible like that can happen to you and you can be forced to have to close your mouth about it for the rest of your life, which is just absolutely disgusting, to be honest. So, yeah, all these different bits of work that are being done by the union movement, it's just incredible Um, and it really is making a difference. (laughs)
0: You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. Same theme, I spoke to Hacia Atherton from Empowered Women in Trades to find out what her organisation is doing to encourage an increase in women taking up trades.
3: I've got a long family history in trades. I'm from a fifth generation plumbing family and my own strong unconscious bias led me off to university and accounting and I never even considered trades as a career pathway until a lot later in my life when my dad gave me an opportunity to work in our family factory floor and I absolutely fell in love with welding. And I thought, wow, so if a woman like myself with all of this access Trades, the family history in trades had such a strong unconscious bias that it wasn't a role for me. What um, it would not cross the minds of women that don't have that kind of connection to the trade-based industry?
0: Setting up empowered women in trades. You're actually proselytising. You've uh, got got the research. Uh, there's been quite a lot of research into. Uh, the numbers uh, how women uh, have been turned off trades mm. um, and it's actually fallen since two, uh, 2016 to the present can you talk to us what are the reasons for why that even the amount that small amount that have been lured to trades have been moving away from it,
3: it has a lot to do with uh, culture shifts that needs to happen there's some basic uh, elements like toilet facilities on, on site for a lot of the women because the culture issue, I believe, is not just connected to the low female representation but the high levels of mental wellbeing among the male demographic in there. So the culture needs to shift for both men and women in the industries.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting you should say that about the female toilets because uh, I know that uh, the CFMEU actually had, were taken to court over an issue in Victoria um, over female toilets. They were seen to be harassing the workplace when in actual fact what they were saying was that they needed to provide female toilets and it went to court.
3: Yeah, exactly. It went all the way to the High Court and that was a good fight for them to have because pre-having a female toilet or a second toilet that she could use Uh, people would have to stand, trusted people would have to stand in front of the toilet while she used it to keep her safe.
0: Yeah, so um, there is a long way to go. But uh, as you've pointed out, it's very low numbers, 3% for Mm. women in trades. Uh, But in actual fact, you're making a a connection between uh, increases in uh, women's uh, full-time earnings if they were to go into trades And an 11% boost in the economic growth uh, over the next decade, which is an interesting correlation, eh?
3: It is an interesting correlation. And as much as there is uh, terrible stories out there, what we do is to work hard to find employers that value women that already have started the culture change and cultural education, have support networks in place for women within their organisations, and they're in an environment where they can thrive and the company wants these women to thrive and even come up and mentor them into leadership roles, et etc. et cetera. So although there is a lot of bad press out there, there is pockets of absolutely fantastic employers that really want to nurture the women into successful long-term careers.
0: Well, it's not just for women apprentices. It's actually the apprenticeship system at the moment mm-hmm. Uh, needs more regulation.
3: Yes, exactly. So if we look at the dropout rate, there's a high dropout rate, and that's for both uh, men and women. And part of that, again, is linking back to the cultural change. Young, younger men don't want to put up with the bullying and the harassment that they often get at either TAFE or on their employer site. And they, we can see that in the mental wellbeing stats and the dropout rates. So the culture shift in the industry has to happen, not just for the women, but also for the next generation of, of younger men that are coming through.
0: Oh, and, and also the thing is, the ideal with apprenticeships is that, you know, they get paid. I mean, it may not be the full rate, but they get paid uh, and they're being uh, looked out for by a skilled older worker and they gain the skills to be able to then be a qualified person themselves. And so some of the people have been concerned that they're not actually getting the skills, they're being used as dog bodies.
2: Yes,
3: exactly. And that's coming back to the vetting of employers and and my advice to anyone that wants to go into trades, male or female is to really vet that employer and see what their intentions truly are. Are they interested in investing time in you to teach you your skill set or are they just trying to find cheap labour to clean up the factory floor?
0: Now let's go back to girls. Um, it was to- I was speaking to uh, a person who's been was is working on the same project, effectively, but for the AMWU, and they've just recently had a um, an expo uh, out in Broadmeadows, um, and they're working on the same sort of issues. But uh, she said something really interesting. She said that the research shows that uh, by um, grade five, girls have already decided trades aren't for them.
3: Yes, and that's why we have started at the moment some programs that start in Year 7 to try and change that mindset and our intentions try to get programs into primary school because of that exact mindset. And that comes a lot from what they're seeing as they're young. There's Bob the Builder, not Brittany the Builder. A lot of the information they're still receiving at younger ages is very gender biased off off the roles that we're meant to play in society. Here we're really focusing on the high schools so year sevens, eights and nines try and encourage them to think about school-based apprenticeships uh, which is a great way for them to stay in school and learn some English and math and all that kind of stuff and have the socialization but also get to experience the trades and with an employer one day a week and at TAFE one day a week. And then once we've established in the secondary schools, I really want to move into primary schools and bring in some fun activities that the, that's safe for the primary school students and tailored to the age group, but to really try and shift that bias that comes in strong at a very young age. Trade is not a mindless career path have to be very intelligent but you also love doing stuff with your hands.
0: Well it's a, it's a problem solving job I mean you don't want to have a bad plumber.
3: No you don't want to have a bad plumber you definitely don't want to have a, um, a, an electrician that's not good at math.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah exactly and you so say you've got a an online portal where people can actually get a taster I presume.
3: Yeah exactly and that's a lot there also for the parents so for the kids are Coming home excited about their plumbing experience or electrical experience. There's some information on there about what an apprenticeship is. Um, there's information there about some of the trades and interviews with tradeswomen as well of why they love their trade, why they went into it, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's a great resource for the parents if their child comes home excited about trades for them to get a bit of an understanding because if they're from non-trade backgrounds, it's an unknown world for the parents and could be quite unsettling for them uh, not knowing what, what to do or how to have the conversations about going into
0: trade. Well, it's funny you should say that because I've got a niece and my family's are far more sort of uh, focused on um, intellectual pursuits, but she's uh, now a uh, very accomplished furniture upholsterer. Oh, and wow. uh, and uh, I can say that she has just gone from uh, strength to strength.
3: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then that's the thing. If you have that skill set and that desire to use your hands, you will thrive in these industries.
0: Let's stick together this week. If you want to catch up with our program, the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or at your favourite podcast site. And you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by ringing 03 9419 8377 and leaving us a message. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, There's a union for you. And until next time, stick together and happy International Working Women's Day.